Welcome to All The Things with Tata and Laz. In this podcast, we aim to normalise all the things, especially when they're deemed taboo. And we're back. Episode four. Four. That's a month. Check us out. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to All The Things Talk with your girl, Tata. And Lauren, also known as Laz, because that's the name that's that we That's right, don't forget. if we're doing full names, my name is actually Talia. Yes, um, Talia Malmau. <laughs> yes. But thanks for, thanks for joining us, guys. We're very excited to bring this week's episode and follow up of last uh, week. Last week last week was pretty hevs. It was. And again, the response Sorry, was... The response was... Really supportive, actually. We had yeah. so many people hit us up, seeing if we're okay. Um, I don't know about you. I had heaps of people saying, oh, my gosh, I really needed to hear this. Yeah, I did have. And um, it's really – I was like, oh, my goodness, yay. <laughs> yeah, we're a community. Yeah, we are. Yeah. See, no one is alone in their struggles. Um, and that was what was reaffirmed for me, is that in the res- in the response that I, I got personally was – I needed to hear this to remember that I'm not alone in my struggles. I needed to hear this because I felt this exact same way. Mm. I needed to hear this because it makes me feel like I'm currently not alone. Mm. And I was like, yes. For me, I was like, my ego kept on rearing its ugly head and saying, oh my God, why are you even sharing this? Like, you're such a narcissist. Why are you sharing this story? Like, I get that same story that comes up in my head. And I'm like, even putting the, I put the transcribed video of that clip in on socials and the whole time i was like oh my god like why like i was so scared to share it but then the response because that's a societal norm that if you talk about yourself you're a narcissist Mm. there are actual narcissists yeah you my cousin are not yeah no i definitely have narcissistic traits but um (laughs) there's so much power in sharing yeah and and people coming forward and saying um like just saying how much our stories are similar and like yeah, I was just like, oh, it's good that it, that's why we wanted to do that. We wanted to normalize this conversation, conversation especially for health. Pacifica yeah. youth, because I yeah. feel like culturally with <clears throat> churches and all the rest of the layers that come with the Pacifica youth um, and yeah. youth in general, you or adolescents yeah. navigating through life. Like, what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, yeah, what? like I'm in my thirties. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah. If you could just normalize the conversation I know it's been like, yeah, let, let's make it, you know, let's bring it to light. But we have to actually do it and mm-hmm. actually talk about it every day because yeah. then people don't have that stigma. And, and a lot of the time people want to talk about it, but they don't know how to bring up such a heavy topic. Yeah. And, and so, if they bring it up, there's still things that they hold back with because yeah. they're still shame attached. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like that's a, a massive opportunity for us to segue from sharing our own stories from last week and diving but also just creating a safe space because safety, yes, that's a, key. If you feel safe, you're, you, you're not going to be scared to be judged. You're not going to scared to be feeling alone or being felt like misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Just a safe. But that's the question. How many like, people feel, been there? How many people <clears throat> can actually say hand on heart that they feel safe to openly share their deepest, darkest struggles? Because 
No, a lot of people are even in relationships where they don't feel safe yeah, to no. come forward. Yeah. Um, and that's not because their partner is making them feel unsafe. It's that because their unconscious self has already been conditioned to feel unsafe should they choose to open mm. up. Because, bringing back to ego, our ego says, no, that's too much. We need to cover it with a bubbly personality. Yeah. Oh, we need to cover that. Just don't say anything. Mm. So we're silenced. Yeah. Lots of things. So the ego is a motherfucker. It yeah. really is. Like yeah, it, it's jarring. When and it's you realize. good too. That's why I always say it's so so good to get to a point in life where you can recognize. Oh, shut that voice up because that is not your true self, yeah. and that's not like as much as it's so loud sometimes. Mm-hmm. Even for me, like it's so loud on a daily sometimes, and you just have to bring yourself back to the center and be like shut up yeah i feel or like ignore. we're jumping the gun a little bit though because in order to be able to pull yourself up and be like no hold yourself accountable you can't hold yourself accountable if you don't have an, an awareness that you need to be held accountable in the mm. first place so um self-awareness do we just dive right in let's dive right in let's man. dive right in so um pull for anyone who didn't listen last week um, go back and listen. <laughs> but if you if you didn't get the opportunity, um, Lauren and I spoke on depression and anxiety. And this week's episode, we wanted to dive a little deeper and talk about, you know, how we can understand, you know, where our mental health challenges stem from. Um, and then further that conversation uh, and talk about, you know, how is it that these particular challenges affect me um, in my everyday life as an adult? Um, and then what they look like, what they sound like, because a lot of us have unresolved issues that we, again, haven't acknowledged or identified in our everyday personality traits or qualities or even just our behaviors. So we're going to kick off and um, I'm going to take the lead and Lara's just going to ask some questions for clarification as she goes. Um, I don't claim to be an expert in this field, but I do know a little bit. So, um, so how can we understand where our mental health challenges come from? So, um, I can speak on my OCD personally, um, but uh, given the study, my studies and the industry that I work in, so I work in disabilities, but I, my mentor is a psychoanalyst. Um, and, um, a lot of, a lot of the things that we study talk about childhood trauma and how that Um, is then reflected in our adult lives. Mm. So one of the things that we need to understand is that everything that we have been molded into as an adult obviously is influenced by all of our experiences, what we've been exposed to, Mm. um, you know, what we have and haven't done in our lives, the people around us, and the biggest part of that being the first seven years of our life, right? Mm. So... The first seven years, people talk about children being sponges. We are sponges with knowledge, with information, but people always think that that's just academic or intellectual Mm. knowledge. And it's not. No, so your brain is literally wiring itself together. Neurologically um, wiring itself. For the foundation of the rest of your life. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Girl, you know. And that's why they say to, if you're going to teach a child another language, do it before the age of seven, because then their brain will always be susceptible to be able to pick up other yes. languages because you've now wired that brain in a yeah. way that's Because the, you know, people say that... I hear a lot of people saying that you should teach kids to um, learn a language before they... But within the first three years, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and a, a child's brain is you know fully, fully formed by the time they're four and then everything else continuing on in those other years 
right? I can't help but what she does. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, I was watching Lauren. Just, There's was... this carpet where we are recording. And it's, is it It's juice? a rug, yeah. It's one of those chic, ruggy things. Oh, my God. The sensory I feel like you're censoring, this. yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Let's get back <laughs> to Censoring is also a thing that is your conditioned. It's mm. a... Anyway. Anyway. Sorry. Sorry. Let's go back. Um... So, yeah, your brain is fully formed by the time you are four years of age. And the years that follow obviously continue to um, develop particular, um, you know, traits or um, qualities. <clears throat> so, with with your child development, there's so many different theories. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of different philosophers that you can look into. Um, but when trying to explain from a psychoanalytical perspective of how people can understand what what behaviours or what struggles they're dealing with. Mm. Who talks about the psychosexual stages for children. You've got Eric Erickson who talks about... Sorry, Eric Bowen? Oh, I've got all my philosophers mixed up. You've got Erickson who talks... Erickson, Adler, um, Bowen, Ainsworth, and then you've got Gabriel Mate who is... He's obviously a more current. So they're all Balangi men. I don't know. No, Mary Ainsworth is a female. Oh, okay. Um, but I, to be honest, I don't know. They're from our lifetime, or are they prehistoric? <laughs> <laughs> Gabriel Mate is still living. Okay. Um, and he's he's excellent. I he's he talks a lot about childhood trauma, um, mm-hmm. and the effects that it can have on you as adults. And he also talks about the physiological mm-hmm. um, connection between your emotional state to yeah yeah and that's why i think it's good afterwards to then bring up um i don't even know what they'd be called philosophers or i don't know people of the spiritual world like people like eckhart tolle and um dwayne oh sorry yes dwayne um dyer and those type of people because they um, help you to understand so you can recognize your traumas and whatnot, but then detach from them so that you can um, yeah, and I've spoken with your mum about yeah. I've spoken with your mum about this um, a little bit as well, and for me I feel like there's a very deep-seated connection between the two mm, yeah. um, having known, you know having looked at the f- different um, philosophers around psychoanalysis and the effects from the first seven years to because that's adulthood. the recognition part and then you can have like at the on the other end of the things you can have these other people that actually help you recognize how to then um release yourself Free from yourself those from types it. of traumas yeah. and live a life of mental freedom yeah and it's <clears throat> this i feel like i'm all over the shop sorry but i feel like when you can understand from an iceberg perspective this is what this is the analogy that i'm talking about when you look at an iceberg and you've got the water just below the tip right if you were to Google an iceberg, you'd see that majority of um, the ice is below the surface. It's the biggest part of it, right? Yeah. And so if you if you take the tip of the iceberg and that be representative of all of the things that you can see mm. uh, in our in our behavior. So let's say things like depression, anxiety, um, you know, violent tendencies, uh, addiction. Mm. You know, people that are paranoid, um, suffer from paranoia, have issues with power and control, are insecure. Um, even those that have, you know, mental health, um, mental illness, like bipolar, schizophrenia, yeah. psychopathic um, tendencies. Yeah. 
all Usually of those, those things, things are right? triggered by well, we yeah. had Auntie Tila who was schizophrenic as well as multiple yeah. personality so- disorder. And if you look at the history of her her upbringing, you can see why yeah. those have emerged, right? Yeah. And so take that iceberg and let's say all of those things that I just named, all of those particular behaviours, that's what you can see. And then if you look underneath the iceberg, which is everything that is unseen, nothing that anyone ever really looks at. I'm like, oh, so... Your schizophrenia, um, your schizophrenia or your um, OCD, it actually stems from all of the junk that's underneath that mm. no one can see, yeah. right? Easiest way to explain it. But that's what the first seven years of our childhood build. That's the under the iceberg mm. stuff, right? And then what we see later in life is people that struggle with the stuff that we struggle with. Anxiety, depression, um, you know, intimacy issues, uh, you know, eating disorders, people that are insecure, people mm. that are... Um, there's an array of things, right? And so in order to be able to understand why you are the way you are, you need to be able to look at your, uh, below the surface, what's, Mm. what's, um, under, under the tip of the iceberg. And that's where, if you can be willing to take upon yourself the journey of confronting, what experiences and what you were exposed to at a really young age between those ages of zero to seven, Mm. then you can start to unpack why it is that things have emerged the way they have. But see, I don't fucking remember. (laughs) But your unconscious self does, right? Well, yeah, I know. But then how do you dig deep to a time? How do you dig deep to a time? How do you dig deep to a time? Sorry, can I just say I've said that three times because uh, one of our kids just walked <laughs> into the room. Um, Podcast life. Yeah. How do you dig deep to a time when you don't consciously remember? So I only remember snippets of my childhood mm-hmm. pre-seven years old. Yeah. Um, and there's chunks that I just obviously don't remember. With There'd be a lot of people, I believe, that would be insane. Yeah, boat. so there's actually particular exercises that you can do to... Um, intentionally allow your unconscious self to speak for you, right? And I've seen these in practice. And like what my mum does. That? Okay. Yeah, it's really similar. Um, so there's different exercises that you can use um, to help purposefully trigger um, your unconscious memories so that you can start to unpack them and, you know, really assess what impact they could have had on you. So, for example, um, one of the exercises that I did when I was studying with one of my peers was it was called 15 memories. And, you know, you get a person to sit down in a chair, you try to get them to sit in a neutral position where they're comfortable and they close their eyes and you ask them to recount 15 memories in chronological age order. Mm. Um, And they have free reign. So all they need to do is once a memory um, finishes, they say next memory. Mm. But, you know, that first memory could be as early as two. It could be as early as seven. Mm. Um, And it could go from seven to 12 to 23. Mm. But you ask them to put them in chronological order. Now, I've sat through a couple of these. And some people have stopped when they've gotten to four memories and they say, that's it. And some people have gotten to their 15th memory and haven't even realized that they've said 15. They're like, oh, I didn't even realize how long I'd spoken for. And what happens is because they just keep going and you allow them, you be patient and you allow them to work through it in their own time. Mm. When 
what we had was we had someone transcribing the memories as we went and then we started to unpack it then and there. And when you when you look at the things that have been said and you start to interpret how these could have impacted a person, they start to actually offer more information about, oh, this is what I noticed when yeah. I reached this age. So um, <clears throat> that would be as, useful. As, yeah, so as an activity. example, in the first five memories of one of the exercises that I sat in on, um, there was this, there was there were memories that included, you know, uh, getting hurt or being in an environment where there were people that this person didn't recognize at all. And they remember looking and searching um, and there was no one that they felt that they could trust. And Mm. then it wasn't until I think maybe the seventh or eighth memory that there was any mention of their mum. And the only mention of their, their father was when they were a late teen and it was discussing them trying to protect one of their family members from the abuse of their father. Mm. And so, you know, you take that and that sense of abandonment, when you look at the ages, right, from I think it was from the ages of zero to nine in those first seven or eight memories, there was no mention of a parental role at all. So that sense of abandonment for this person was quite prominent mm. and they hadn't recognized it until they started to unpack their memories. Mm. And then as they went on, they noticed that their fear and this sense of neglect had completely disabled them from being able to trust anybody. Yeah. And they'd seen that in their relationships. They'd seen that in their friendships. They, they made purposeful relationships with people that kept people at arm's length, that never allowed them to enter their, you know, their safe zone, their, mm. their emotional zone. And that's their survival mode. So there's particular, sorry, it's a very long winded answer, but in answer to your question, there are particular tools and resources that you can use to help you. You asked how pe- some people don't remember their, um, their memories. Oh yeah, that was it. <laughs> and so there are particular things that you can do to help bring those out. Um, Anyway, so... Um, That's good. That's a good activity. I'm going to try that activity. Yeah. Even though I feel like I'm pretty aware of the traumas, but it would be good to do. Yeah, having someone to help unpack it with you um, is really useful. <laughs> okay, okay, do you, boo. Um, so, yeah, um, obviously understanding those seven years, the people that were surrounded you, and the, the particular traits um, that those around you hold... You know, they talk about nurture versus nature um, Mm. and they also talk about, you know, you are a product of your upbringing. Mm. And that couldn't be more true because, you know, in the first seven years of life, you're soaking up all of these experiences and what Mm. you're exposed to. It undoubtedly impacts how you respond and react to different different situations when you get older. I wonder what the hell happened to serial killers then in that first seven years. Well, this is the thing, right? So I've I've had a conversation with many people around... Um, you know, adults that are pedophiles and rapists Ugh. and, you know, and there's this, obviously there's this hatred and I understand where people are coming from when they sit there and they're, you know, so upset and so infuriated. Uh, yet I can't help but think from this, pers- from this point of view that no one in their right mind, no one ever wakes up saying, Hmm. Today I decide I want to be a rapist. I want to mm. hurt people. I want to I want to go and, you know, totally invade the the privacy um of of children. Mm. No one wakes up wanting that. It's just like no one wakes up saying, "Hmm, 
I really, really want to struggle as a drug addict. No one wakes up with that choice. Mm. It's something that has they've journeyed with for a really long time, but they've been exposed to that is their norm, right? Yeah. So I take it that I, there's so many different examples that I use, but people that are in domestically abusive relationships, domestically abusive, domestic abuse, you know what I'm saying. Domestic people that abusive are in, relationships. Yes. People that um, are in those relationships, you often hear saying, but you know, I don't know why they're with him. Like that they saw or she saw what, um, you know, her dad was like, her dad was really abusive. Well, on an unconscious level, we actually will try to find someone. Cause that's all they know. Yes. Who allows our level of emotional functioning to keep on going. So it'll, it'll maintain the level of emotional functioning that you've grown up with. Mm. So people that have grown up in a household where, you know, alcoholism is the way to cope with stress and anxiety and pain and, and all of those things, they grow up with no other, you know, tools that they think that alcohol is the answer. Mm. And therefore you create this cycle, this pattern of behavior that's ongoing. Yeah. So with people that such as rapists or pedophiles, I often think, well, they weren't always the perpetrator. They were likely the victim. Does that make sense? And Mm -hmm. I need to, like, stress this. It never, ever justifies a person's behavior when they're hurting other people, right? Never. Like, I'm not sitting here being like, well, you know, they they were abused, so it makes it all okay. Never. Never is it okay. But when you can unpack a person's history and understand why they believe that this is normal behavior or why they have these these tendencies you when you look under the iceberg you tend to have a better idea of of how it can be explained that they got to this place in their life where hurting people was was the norm yeah um, like r kelly he was sexually abused yeah as, from a really um, young age for a prolonged time <clears throat> i think and so he and by people in his family so the mm. people that you are you are conditioned to um well the people that you're conditioned to believe you can trust if they're the ones that are hurting you, Mm. then you naturally think, well, I trust them and them hurting me. It's not really hurt. So it must be normal. It must be okay. And so then you repeat the behavior thinking, oh, it's normal. It's okay. Because this is all I've known. This is all. But at a certain point, I feel like as a grown man, they don't, they know that it's not normal, but they, on a conscious level, are just, yeah, deciding like, well, like this is. In some cases, right. Well, I don't know. But I watched the Epstein thing the other night and the question was asked to him from one of the prosecutors. Oh, well, Sue, were you um, molested as a child? And his reaction was like, he lost his cool and you could tell that, yes, he was. Like in that, watching him in his truth, Mm. you could tell like, yeah, he was molested as a child and, and this is why he must think it's fine to keep on or has this pattern of wanting to have this power yeah. over these young children. And that's the thing, right? <laughs> at an age at an age where it would obviously be helpful to have intervention to say, hey, you are hurt. But, you know, because people say hurt people hurt people. Mm. <sighs> Although not every child no, is. No, because you have people that work on the other end of the spectrum. Mm. You have people that have grown up in homes that are, you know, broken homes or abusive homes. And people grow up to say, I will... I will consciously live on the opposite end of the spectrum of what I grew up in. Hmm. Right. So there, some people would call it an exception to the, um, an exception to the rule, but I think it's about consciousness. So, you know, for people that grow up in households where communication is not normal, you know, and 
I spoke about cultural suppression last week, where as a as a Pacific Islander, as a Polynesian woman with a lot of friends who grew up in, you know, really strong um, Samoan or Tongan homes or um, Tongan, Samoan, Māori, Cook Island homes, for a lot of them, it was so normal that if you stepped out of line, communication, yeah, communication <laughs> wasn't the, the go-to. It was, no, our, I'm going to beat you now and then had... we'll apologise later. Yeah. Right? I don't even think there was apologies. I don't think Grandpa apologized. Hence, no, why it's our normally mothers... I beat you because I love you. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that and just distorts that's why a our child's understanding. Um, apologize easily. Um, actually, even that, my mom does apologize yeah. easily Look, when I she think, recognizes. But that's the thing, right? Like people, people apologize if they've been taught to apologize, and mm. people that struggle to. It's not just even apology. People that struggle to express how they're feeling, whether it is, sometimes it's even joy, sometimes mm. it's affection. People that struggle with those things have normally grown up in environments where those weren't expressed freely to them. So mm. why would they do something that seems so out of whack, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, but, you know, the... <sighs> but then I even look at that and how Grandpa was really harsh with his own children mm. in terms of um, they got... Crazy and how beatings soft he was with us, were... though, as his grandchildren. Yeah, but he because he was uh, abused as a child. Like yeah. his stepmother was actually abusive to him and his brothers. Um, yeah. and so all he knew so he it's multi generational yeah, patterns of behavior. He didn't know that once your children got out of line, or he didn't know how to hone in his anger to communicate that properly, because yeah. all he must have known as a child was beatings. Yeah, and you do something wrong, it's a hiding. Yeah, if you're angry, you be quiet. Yeah. Or, and then when it gets too much, you end up giving someone else a But hiding. do you notice that our mothers... I don't know about you, but I never got hidings off my mom. It was... Um, no, I can count on two hands how many times I was smacked. Yeah, and that my was mom would it. like pinch us in the car. Oh, my mom was a pincher with everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't, they didn't um, actually hit us because their mother actually never did... Any of Grandma discipline. never disciplined no. them physically like that. Yeah. It was grandpa. And so I don't think that they th- even thought it was not like a thing for them to physically disciplined no. but grandma because never I... spoke with her children about issues either mm. grandma just was like oh no grandpa will deal with it mm. and so that in itself created the issue of well the beatings and then the no dialogue mm. there was no processing of what's happened why am i getting beaten yeah. so no my mum never gave me hidings i think the last time i got a smack i i remember i was definitely deserving did well, your dad give you hidings my dad has never smacked me oh my god you didn't get hidings <laughs> No, I've never had a home. <laughs> That's why you used to come over. Yeah, I used to oh be God, shocked. Can I tell this story? <laughs> oh, my God. There was this neighbour of ours. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's wrong and, with me? And, oh. no, she was annoying us. We were both being nasty to her, actually, because we should have just let her play. So but... what hurt were we trying to unleash on her that we were feeling? <laughs> we were just... We had some unresolved issues. We were, we were rats. Beans. Anyways... We have the I have this driveway at my mom's house that is slopes, and the little girl had a bike and Talia goes, You know what? We're not playing this game. <laughs> she pu- pushes the girl's bike down the driveway. Yeah, that was and, so mean. Um, I know, when I look back I'm like, Oh my god, I, I wish still I remember her name, hugged. Nicole. Yeah, Nicole. Oh my god, Nicole. <laughs> Nicole with um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then and then my dad was at the front and saw it. And he, yeah, he lost his shit. At he you, like, and it was like, yeah, because oh. she's not gonna give you a hiding. <laughs> and then he's like, Larry, why did you do that? And I was like, I didn't tell, <laughs> I didn't tell Talia to do that. Oh Which I did it. I did not know that this 
Bella to do that. And then Talia just sat there like, <laughs> quiet. I was and like, you were thinking it, Larry. I did it. I was the biggest hiding. Dodge was like, push, push. And Talia was like, sorry. Like, sorry, guys. <laughs> I was like, uh, I no, but that makes sense no. though, because you never got hiding. So you wouldn't have thought that. Like, I remember thinking, seeing your face, and you were like, what is yeah, going I was, on? I was shooketh. Um, yeah, no, so my dad... But my dad also... I don't think that my... Um, there are a number of reasons why I don't think my dad ever um, smacked my sister or I. One was because I just don't think that was the environment that he grew up in. Um, but my mum and my dad, like, that, you know, they... Well, they were separated by the time I was... Yeah, when I was four. And so for my dad, it was like every interaction he wanted to make sure was a positive one. So there was never, ever any... Yeah, yeah. never snacks. Um, yeah. Sorry. But yeah, so un- <laughs> when you look at how a person has grown up, mm. when you see reflected as an adult... You know, I, I how many times have you heard um, people say, oh, they're just so shy, they're so quiet. Especially about our, like even our cousins or even some of my friends. What um, about us? No, please, not about us. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, about some of our cousins or some of um, you know, have you ever met um, you know, any Pacific men that just seem really reserved? People yeah. are like, oh, they're really quiet, they're really reserved. Yeah, but we all know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, and you know, when a, a number of the people that I studied with as well were Pacific or Maori men, and they had said, oh, people are always saying, oh, I'm shy or. Um, they, they've considered me quite private or reserved, but you know, as they've unraveled and they've done their work, Mm. they're like, Oh no, I just, I never had a voice when I grew up and they can identify that now. Right. Mm. Cause they can say in our household, if something went wrong, there was no, okay, kids, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Yeah. It was, well, you did something wrong in my eyes. So I'm going to give you a consequence that I deem, you know, appropriate for you, you know, punishment, whatever you want to call it. Well, I think that's that's also leads to the problem that we have now with the youth trying to take on these gang-like mentalities because they don't know how to communicate all of the emotions that they have because they've not given been given the tools to do that. So instead of like constructively being able to communicate what how they feel or in a healthy helpful way yeah they take it and they think oh this must be ang- that whatever it is anger frustration or anything like that and then they think oh we're gonna we're brothers we're cousins we're this we're that now we're going to you know and i can talk more to that yeah but before we get into that let's i need a little bit of a break let's take a break yeah we actually need to take a break let's take a break and go to <laughs> I think that's what I just said, but <laughs> all right, let's do this. I'm going Paris. to a break. Yes! <laughs> yeah, so look, one of the uh, examples that I give when I'm trying to help people see how things can, uh, I guess, progress in particular traits, right? I say, so you take a child, take a child that lives. Um, in a family where, you know, there's, let's say there's three or four kids and, you know, when they're growing up, there's not a lot of dialogue. When they do something wrong, as we mentioned before, it's, you just get a hiding. And then when they start to get a little bit older and they start to want to argue or they start to want to stick up for themselves, that, you know, it's considered like, don't, don't, don't be smart. Don't be cheeky. Don't talk back to me. You get an even bigger hiding, right? Mm. 
And so what kids start to learn is when I open my mouth to speak, I just get a bigger hiding. So I'm getting abused into silence, mm. right? And then there starts to be, when you do things wrong and there starts to be name calling, like, eh, you're dumb or you're useless or what did you do that for, you egg? Or um, shut your mouth, be quiet, shush, don't open your mouth, things like that, right? Mm. And then you take that with the learned um, the learned consequence of when I open my mouth, I get beaten. It starts to be, you know, set in their brain that I'm dumb, I'm useless, I'm not worthy to open my mouth. Mm. I don't get to be involved in the conversation. And so then you take a child and they're in, they're in primary school and they've learned that at home they don't have a voice. Mm. And then they're in primary school and they've got this newfound independence, they're making friends, and then someone happens to say the wrong thing or make them feel like they're worthless. So, oh, what did you do that for? You're dumb. And what does it do? It triggers that I'm being called dumb again. I'm being reminded that I'm not of worth, mm. but I'm not at home anymore. I have a voice at school. So what happens? They retaliate. They, they, they fight back in the only way that they've been taught how to. Not with their words, but with their fists. Mm. And then what happens? Mum and dad get a phone call from the principal saying, oh, you know, you know little Johnny um, you know, hit little Timmy today at school. And if you're from a home that doesn't have a lot of dialogue, the questions aren't, oh, what happened? Why did they do it? They might ask those questions, but it doesn't matter what the response is. Usually it comes with a sense of shame and embarrassment that your child has acted out in a particular way, right? Mm. And so when the child comes home from school, little Johnny comes home, opens the door. The parent doesn't say, oh, son, I got a phone call from your principal today. What happened? Were you upset? Tell me, tell me how it unraveled. Why did you hit Timmy? Do you know, you know, how Timmy does it make you feel? Timmy shouldn't have did or he shouldn't have done. <laughs> anyway. You know, yeah. but those conversations aren't happening. Yeah. What happens is I got a call from your principal and you get a hiding because mm. you brought shame on the family or you embarrassed yourself or you shouldn't have done that. So, mm. so. And so it just continues to build up in this child's mind that you're not allowed to have a voice, period. Mm. And if you step out of line, there's always going to be a consequence for you, right? Mm. And you feel, you know, they, you feel small. So take them into high school and what starts to happen is survival mode happens. So if there's things that are happening out of line, you tend to have kids that don't want to risk getting a hiding when they get home. So if they get in trouble, they'll either lie about it or they'll run away. Or like This is literally a loose example, but these are things that can happen. Hmm. And so the kids start to feel and condition themselves that in order to survive their home life and survive the day, hmm. they need to lie and they need to... to and they need to do whatever they can possible to make sure that they're not being told they're worthless, getting another hiding so-and-so. Mm. And then when you get into adulthood, kids have so much more. So, you know, they're 18. They start going to clubs. And then they've got people that are, you know, the same size as them. You know, when they say don't, you know, pick on someone that's the, mm. the same size as you. They've now got this newfound freedom where they now have more easily accessible drugs and alcohol mm. so you add this 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 resentment this bitterness this hurt this this you know sore sad little boy that's now an adult and you put in the mix of all worldly things that they can access they're just contributing triggers to act out in a way that they weren't able to when they were at home does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's when you start to see kids getting into fights, beating on people. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be something directly affecting them. 
um, like, you know, I look back and I know that there were some friends that purposefully used to look for trouble. They used mm. to look for a fight. And so if someone, you know, out in the crowd did something wrong by a person that they were with, that was enough to trigger them because they were then fighting for injustice that they didn't feel anyone was fighting for them in their own home. Mm. Does that make sense? So you end up yeah. not just fighting for yourself. You end up fighting for every other person that you feel as though has had to fight the same struggle as you mm. because you want to be the person to say, this isn't okay because if there was no one there for you, you want to be that person for someone else. Mm. And it, usually it's an unconscious thing. Um, but, you know, that's it's a very long example, mm. but it it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people that I know and a lot of the parents that I've spoken to are saying this makes sense like mm. this makes me really sad but uh, and I say to people it's not a it's not a blame game right like you don't learn these things and you don't you don't try to understand different examples or or look at all of your past behaviors for the purpose of feeling guilt you take the knowledge of you know how you've engage with your kids or you take the knowledge of how you can or how you've impacted your children's Mm. development and you use it to then try and repair things Mm. start to open the communication channels to be two ways Mm. not just one way uh, you know, yeah. I noticed with Chima, sorry, um, that he's he picks up things and he learns things very quickly. So mm-hmm. he'll, <laughs> so even for example, when I was breastfeeding him, so this would have been when he was under two. He, I'll keep on saying this, like he never bit me because there was one time when he did bite me, and I reacted so like ow, like so my reaction was so much, and I remember his little baby face looking like so stunned at that mm. that he actually never ever bit me again, mm. and and then so moving forward now he's like what four, I think it was when he was two or something or maybe three, and when he could actually start to talk a little bit more. I remember reprimanding him and then from that one time of reprimanding him for whatever he did, I don't even remember, the next time he's like, when he's in trouble, Mommy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mom, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I'm like, whoa, like, (laughs) how did this one time, this one time I did this one thing to you, I must have lost my temper and be like, Jim, I don't do that. And from that one time, still to this very day, Mm. and now he's, what, four years old? Yeah. He says, Mommy, Mom, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like with his hands up. And yeah. I'm like, wow, yeah. you really have to, like, it makes me very conscious now when I, when I lose my temper to yeah. stop because he'll remember that. Mm-hmm. And the way his little brain is, is he'll keep it forever. Yeah. And it becomes an emotional, an emotional memory and it teaches mm. them to respond in a particular, fight, flight or freeze. Yeah. Right? So I have to really be yeah. like, okay, let me talk to you. Yeah. Let me... Un- let you understand why I'm upset that you're doing this. Yeah. Otherwise, he just will remember that one reaction that I did back yeah. then, and yeah. And that's it's. Oh, look, I think awareness as a parent in all that you do is is always the goal, but it's also really really hard. And that's why when I speak with people, I uh, I give examples that you know, no one is perfect. Like I don't sit here and the people that taught me don't sit here saying, well, I perfect, I perfected the art of parenting and I'm Mm. really good at, no, we've all stuffed ourselves up in one way or another because we've been conditioned a way to think that losing your temper and using one way communication at some point is okay. Mm. And it's not right. Um, and this is where, you know, we spoke about ego last week and the unconscious self 
the unconscious self is what holds on to all of these memories, right? All of the hurt, all of the trauma, all mm. of the abuse, all of well, the... Well, the, the ego creates a store and safe narrative to keep you within what it deems as a safe space. So if it all it knows is trauma and that that's what it's going to hold on to and it's like, no, this is what we know, this is safe and... So the unconscious self holds on to everything yes. and the ego is what ego. masks... No, the ego is what masks people oh, from being able to uh-huh. see your unconscious self so your ego is what it what helps people to deflect from what's really going on yeah and it's basically working from an unconscious mindset yeah. yes because you're not saying oh i need to put on this ego and this mask because i really want to be cool yeah you're putting on this ego on this mask because you think you have to show people that you're cool so that they don't see something else that's underlying mm. Um, and that's like when people are, you know, those behaviors that we spoke about, people that are insecure or people that are, um, people that get jealous or people that use, um, possessions and Mm. material things to try and show their worth. That's all part of their Mm. ego to say, I've got it all together because I've got a really nice car and I've got it all together because, you know, Mm. my hair's did, my nails done, my face is beat. Um, you know, I'm wearing like mad bougie clothes. Um, and you know, each their own if people are doing that, but as in, if some people just want to do those things because they like it, some people do it because they feel this, this deep of, yes, Yes. this unworthiness, unless they have those things. And that is purely external. Yeah. Right. Um, but my ego talk was um how i got to a depression was um the feeling of isolation like i really felt alone Mm. like i couldn't even relate to my best friends and so my story my ego story was like you don't fit in in this world and your ego was like i'm okay that your bubbly personality was also your ego to cover up that you do fit into the world even though exactly. and that's where my pleasing self comes in like i always just want to please and kind yeah. of um i still do this to this day like apologize and try and just be as yeah. small as i can in a yeah. room especially in the workplace because i don't want to disrupt anything mm-hmm. i don't have um i have a sense of like not not uh what is the unworthiness of being mm. in certain spaces so i'll just be really quiet and i'm not really here just to go back yeah. and so that's what triggered me into like that was the root of my depression I think was Mm. those feelings and that ego talk yeah see I've done a lot of personal work Mm -hmm. right like I spoke a little bit about it last week I've done heaps of work to progress through my struggles and I do have a lot of tools to to move myself out of my um you know highly intensive anxious states Mm. but you know you said you apologized Everyone who knows me, really knows me, knows that I apologize unnecessarily yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I and think I as w- women do it a lot, right? Yeah. Um, but I apologize a lot for, you know, if I haven't shaved my legs. No one's looking at my legs, but I'll apologize yeah. first because in case they see it first, I want to be the one to have called it yeah. out. And I'll apologize if I'm not dressed appropriately for the occasion or I'll apologize if my if I don't have makeup on, barely wear makeup anymore but (laughs) i will apologize if i feel as though however my appearance is isn't up to scratch but women tend to do that a lot yes and that's our ego because we think oh we need to apologize well because we're not meeting societal standards yeah Yeah. and the unconscious is like dying on the inside because it's like i really don't want you to actually notice these things because i don't see them but yeah so the, I like to feel like I'm really... Like, I feel like... Mm, I don't give a fuck. Like, when I go out in the world, I'm mm. 
90% of probably more, probably 95% of my life, I look like crazy. And in my own area, I don't give a damn. Like someone can see me with my one sock different from my other sock. <laughs> sliders like yeah. holes in my pajama pants when I'm out shopping and I literally will forget that I look crazy and I'll see someone like hey like what up and like people will look at me looking at me like I'm crazy because I look crazy <laughs> and I'll be looking at them like they're crazy because I'm like what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> like, I have that level of like um don't give a fuckness but if I'm in a setting where I feel like in a work setting or something like that, then I'll profusely apologize if I don't have like my face of makeup on. Because mm. in that setting, I feel it's like. an expectation. Yeah. Right? I feel like. Oh and that's God. the thing is that there's so much expectation. And even the smallest of crap, like, mate, you can't go to the gym without looking good. Oh, apparently. I look crazy at the yeah, gym. Yeah, I look like, <laughs> mental. But yeah, it's about expectation, right? And that's. And that's where people have expectations on how people should respond to different things. So people, you know, if I bring it back to the iceberg, when people look at the tip of the iceberg, um, when people look at the tip of the iceberg, all they're seeing is, oh, you know, they're really controlling or, you know, they're really, um, they're really angry all the time. And it's because there's this expectation that, well, you're not allowed to be angry all the time or mm. you don't get to be controlling. You just need to relax. Mm. But when people can understand, oh, they have power and control issues because their entire childhood was stripped of any form of input, mm. they've, they weren't actually able to contribute or influence the outcome for themselves, yeah. then you have a better grasp and you can take have a better take on showing compassion and we spoke on empathy when you can understand why people are the way that they are. Mm. So people that struggle with addiction, right? People that struggle with, you know, whether it be smoking, sex, gambling, food, um, oh, think of any addiction, right? Mm. Um, people are really quick to be like, oh, they're just a junkie. Or, oh, they, they drink all the yes. time. Or, oh my gosh, they're into porn. Or they spend all their money. Mm. Yeah, they do all of that for particular reasons. Mm. Like, no, again, no one wakes up being like, I want to spend my entire family's paycheck this week so they don't have any food. Yeah. There's, a, there's this deep-rooted problem where they feel as though they need to chase a resolution or chase an answer or chase some type of feeling mm. Um, through these outlets, whatever yeah. they may be. Um, and that's where people can be really quick to to misunderstand and misinterpret yeah. and just roll with their own expectations. But this is the thing, right? You can't... I think that you should never place expectations on other people that they never agreed to meeting. Yes, and that's why I learned through the whole mm. getting triggered by ridiculous people. Yeah. Like, trying to put their two cents in on that matter. And I'm expecting them. I had the expectation that they would know better or would want to yeah. know better. And it's like, oh, silly me. Like, don't put expectations yeah. on. Yeah, hard. Look, um, going back, sorry, because we asked a whole bunch of questions. So it was, you know, how can you understand um, where your mental challenges come from? So unpack your, and I'm keeping this very broad because we've only got, the episode um it's got as long as you need oh, thank you thank you so you know you no, need no, to be actually able to... we only have an hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um we are on time crunch. uh if you can look at the first seven years of your life look at your experiences look at the, your troubles and then look at how they've um been translated into your adolescent years and then look at how they now are reflected in your adult life mm. then that gives you an idea of 
where your mental where, where your mental health um, struggles have stemmed from and how they've evolved. Yes. Um, and then, you know, how they can affect you as an adult, they can actually be quite debilitating. Mm. Like if you're someone that struggles with impulse, in, impulse disorder, um, I'm an impulse shopper and I know people laugh at that, but I am an impulse shopper. Mm. And I'm also someone who, um, thermo mix. <laughs> No, that that was Lily. Um, oh, was it? But I love my thermomix. Oh, though. really? I use it all, yeah, I use it all the oh, time. Oh, it's just like, why would you spend that much on a kitchen appliance, but like each year? No, it's, uh, to be honest, it's used weekly okay. by us. Um, but people that are passive, people that are, um, you know, people that struggle with denial, people that feel consistently lonely, all of these types of things can affect you in your adult life. And if they remain <laughs> unaddressed. to me when I said that. <laughs> But if they remain unaddressed and they can continue to, they can continue to make adult life a struggle to get through day by day. Mm, it can yes. be a really, um, it can be really, um, disheartening yeah. to wake up each day and have to deal with it. Um, you know, self harm is another behavior that people are like, Oh, why do you do that? Or, um, people, and sometimes people forget that all of these little things add up. People that struggle to make eye contact or people that I have... find that really weird. No. I really judge people that I, and I shouldn't, but I really do. Okay. This whole <laughs> conversation is around why you shouldn't judge people. I know, I know, but I'm just being honest. Like an I do iceberg. judge people yeah. that don't make eye contact with me because mm-hmm. I have this feeling like you're hiding something or like I just or have maybe these... they've just been made to be so small that they've not been allowed yes. to make eye contact. And that's fine. And, yeah. and so that's I know, no, no, like I feel like I, like I understand, like I need to stop judging people. If that's my ego being like, well, why are they like, and centering myself instead of actually stepping back and being like, yeah. actually this person yeah. <laughs> having an understanding of what they're under the iceberg might look like will help you to. Yeah. <laughs> but pe- people that have, you know, ticks, you know, pe- some people that oh, blink incessantly. I love those people because I instantly feel but like sometimes... I need to hug them. <laughs> well, and sometimes those types of, um, physiological responses come as a result of trauma or abuse mm. or being exposed to really, really, um, well, yeah, traumatic, traumatic um, experiences or people. Mm. So there's lots of different ways that if you're, you know, these challenges go unresolved can continue to affect your daily life. Um, and, you know, I think we've spoken on how they can be reflected with naming all of these things. Um, it's hard not to look for all of these types of things in daily life. Like even people that are, you know, extroverted or introverted. Like I know that as a kid, like when I was younger, I was, all, I would always consider myself an extrovert because I was like, I just wanted to be around people. I got my energy from them. Yes, definitely. Yes. You, yes. yes. But as I got older, I'm like, Oh no, I am definitely an extroverted introvert because now, and I, you know, it comes with wisdom. <laughs> no, it comes with older age. I actually don't, Okay, older age sounds whack. It comes with maturity, I think. I don't necessarily want to be around people all the time. There's times where I'm like, oh, I really want to be around, mm. you know, people. I want to feel their energy. I want to feel, you know, um, their their spirit, be around their laughter and I, all that. But then there's times the where opposites. I'm like, I want to be on my mm. own. I need to be on my own. Mm. I need to re regain my energy by being solo oh. and that's even without my kids like john knows. i get so drained being around people 
Like, no, it's I, it's, both. It, it's I, both sometimes for me I feel now. like I have to. It depends. If they're my people, people like me, yeah. Then it's like nothing. <laughs> it's like being on my own. Like yeah. I can just be myself and chill with them. But yeah. when it's people where um, I have to make some small talk. I find that so, I get so much social anxiety. It's and funny I, you say that. And people are like, how? Hey, I would never tell. But I'm like, oh my God, it's not my true self to be naturally... Small talky. Small talk. Yeah, or even like, I just want to be myself, but I find it really hard to be myself around... Strangers? New people. Not even new people. Like, I could know them for how long? Like, they could be uh, like mm-hmm. Mike and I's friends. But I just find it hard to just yeah. be myself because I'm still, to this day, I'm still. And yeah. so it, while Mike is always like, oh, there's this party, let's go. And he's so comfortable. Yeah, see, being now around I'm like, people. let's go, let's meet new people. But yeah, you're like, but then Mike. at the end of it, I'm like, I just really want to be on my own and no, be No, see, I get like really like, oh my in God. In the darkness with my music. I'm going to have to talk to people. <laughs> it's funny because um, one of the girls that I went to dinner with last week, Oh, shout out to Louisa. Um, we were talking about how we don't like small talk. And it's funny. I can do small talk really well. Yeah, me too. But I'm not about it. I want to have a proper conversation. Like, but I feel like you're good at doing small talk and turning it into a proper conversation. Whereas I get stuck at small talk. I'm like, how do I, <laughs> how do I move this into a, a I can't do it. My awkwardness, my awkward girlness is like... Okay, we're stuck in this cycle of <laughs> small talk. And I, I literally don't know how to get yeah. out of it. So I'm stuck in small talk land. You know why? Because I will unapologetically ask a tough question. I will be like, look, this might be really personal. I feel too awkward to do that. Well, that's why I call it out for what it is. Because mm. I'm like, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But I I am curious. And if they say, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I was like, and you know what? That's totally fine. But and then, then what you do you do after that? Small talk again. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so scared. And then you small I'm talk. Scared. You small scared. talk until you find something. Because for me. God, it scares me. I'm just going to go home. <laughs> I will small talk until I, I my find book. something of substance. <laughs> and then I'll go there. See, that's too much fucking energy for me. I'm not doing that. Oh, I'm not I, You know what? The ongoing Let me sleep. <laughs> You know what? Honestly, the ongoing small talk is too much energy for me. If you get me onto a conversation of substance, I'm like, oh, this I can do. Me too. Real I can do okay, that. I'm giving mixed vibes. <laughs> no, but like, what I'm saying to you is, I can't get past small talk. <laughs> but you're saying you don't know how to get past the small talk. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. I can't get past the small talk. Yeah, but I'm saying that you've got to get to the small talk where you can find something that can go deeper and then just nip it in the butt. No, I'm too scared to okay. I'm too scared to ask those questions because <laughs> I feel like I don't know you, you might get offended or you might not want to say anything or yeah. should I even ask that? But if a person chooses to be offended by your interest, that t- to get to this point, you've obviously got to have some, some interest reciprocated in the conversation. Mm. I'm not going to flat out be like, hey, so how are you going to be like... <laughs> So tell me about your childhood. No, but like you, there's got to be some reciprocal conversation in order for you mm. to feel bold enough to ask the question. But yeah. I am unapologetic about trying to get it to know a person. And if they don't want to, I'm not going to be like, oh, sure. I'm yeah. going to be like, okay, next. See ya. Yeah, that's why I do well with people who are like you, extroverted people who are talking to me, because then I can slowly talk to them and they'll ask me the questions. It's a gift. Thank but you. I'm not the one. <laughs> I'm not the one to do yeah. it. <laughs> but. That's what I'm saying is that as Sorry, I've that matured, way off track. <laughs> as I've matured, I've really, 
I've really come to enjoy my own company. Yes. And that was Good not, for you. But that's also because of what I've processed. Mm. I realize I don't need to be around people to feel like my existence is validated. Yeah. I don't need to be a part of every conversation yeah. to feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. people know that I exist. Like, can you um, go out? Do you reckon you can go out by yourself on a night out? Oh, I've gone to the movies on my own. No, not the movies. I'm not talking about the movies. Yeah, I, <laughs> go. I would happily go out on my own. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've done this, though. I've done it. Yes. Well, so you won't make a deep conversation with someone, but you'll go out on your yeah, own. Yeah, I'll go out on my own because I like my own company. Yeah. And I don't feel like I'm going out not to a party dope. where I have to meet new people. I'm just going out to a bar. And if I want to talk to people, then I'll talk to them. I don't have the pressure of, oh, hi, I'm bloody blast girlfriend. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I'm just there. I'm doing my own thing. And see, for a lot of then other I'm people, fine. a lot of other people going out on their own would create a different type of anxiety that they feel as though they need to look like they're with someone. Oh, no, I don't give a damn. Yeah. I like it. Okay, so the first time, actually, that's interesting because I would happily go to the movies on my own. Now I'd go and do things on my own. But the first time I ever did it, I was a teenager mm. and I was one of those people where I was like, I need to look like I'm here with someone. So yeah. you know what I did when I went to the movies? <laughs> I'll never forget it. Do you remember that movie? Um, was it Marley and Me? The dog oh, movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my god, that's a crying movie. I know. Yeah. So I went to. I was in the middle of the day, and I went on my own. And for some reason, I felt like I needed to look like I was meeting someone else. So I ordered two drinks, and I even said, "Oh, this one's for my friends." <laughs> Like you can't go to these things on your own. Oh my what? god! This is what I mean. If I knew then the what levels. I know now, I'd be like, just get the one drink, <laughs> just go to the movies on your own. The first movie I ever went to see by myself was um, Princess and the Frog. It was a kids movie. I felt like the biggest You're bloody blue. Yeah, I felt like a creep because I went to a kids movie by myself. Everyone else had kids with them, and I was this grown up like, oh, maybe I picked her. Maybe I think they're wrong. <laughs> I literally no. feel like the biggest creep. People this are girl. calling security. They're like, there's, there's a woman here with no child. That was me. That was me, girl. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, yeah, let's move on in life. Oh, okay, so. <laughs> oh, this conversation went so <laughs> far. I liked where it went there. So. If you're able to identify these things, I want people to share them. Like, I feel like it's really important. And, you know, when we spoke last week about feeling like we couldn't talk about things, right? We were mm. talking about... I feel like I said talk a lot. You, you say that in every episode. <laughs> you know, I feel like I say blah, blah, Yeah, because I, I can hear it. I can hear myself repeating the same word. <laughs> Whatever. So, last week when we said, why don't we share how we're feeling with other people when we're in the midst of it, right? Mm we had spoken about the fact that we don't feel like other people are feeling what we're feeling and that there's shame and, and isolation attached to it. Mm. And what I wanted to touch on, right, is that if you start to be able to identify the causes of your mental health challenges and you eat and you're now in this place where, or you, you're not even there yet, right? You're in the midst of your, your depression. <clears throat> yeah. In the midst of your depression. Yeah, if you're in the midst of your depression and... I don't know why I laughed then. That was weird. I, that sounded insensitive. That's not what I was saying. Stop touching your feet. It's actually really... Oh, funny. I noticed your face is going yeah. on, dear. And I'm like, she's I hate making feet. weird expressions. Yeah, I can't concentrate. Dude, what can I play with? I've got a mind where I need to feel okay. all this stuff. 
So if you are if you are dead set in the midst of your depression or you're starting to unravel why it exists and even that is so confronting that it's triggering you and it's giving it's spiking you know you into panic attacks or meltdowns or you know fight flight or freeze where you feel like you need to go to sleep for days or you need to binge eat or things like that mm. talk to someone or talk to yourself and this is where people are like that's crazy it's not yeah right because when you say things out loud your brain responds completely differently mm. because if you sit there and you harbor these feelings and this darkness and you let them you know, just comp- I love the word manifest. I think I use it every episode. Mm. But if you let them manifest in your head without mm. verbalizing them, you give them power to continue to cultivate this this deep dark hole. Yes. Um, you know what I think about that? I wasn't finished. Sorry. <laughs> I was not finished. But talk because your brain responds differently. Because how many times have you sat there, right, in the, you know, amongst your struggle and you're sitting there and you are feigning for a resolution you're sitting there being like how can i get out of this how can i feel better but it's all in your head yeah and you're sitting there trying to come up with solution after solution different answers different you know tactics to get out of this state of out of your head and then you fall short Mm. but then what happens is on a whim you decide i'm going to talk to someone about it Mm. and then you start talking to them and then they start to come up with different suggestions or different um different tactics that you could use Mm. and you're like oh my gosh yes yeah and you know what they're probably exactly the same ones that you came up with in your head but you're you start to respond differently because they've been said out loud because it's an uh aha movement it's an aha moment yeah and it, it allows your brain to say okay i need to start process processing this differently this mm. isn't actually as you know happiness isn't as unattainable as my mind has led me to believe yes it's, happiness it's bringing and things out of the dark and into, into the, the light. light yes jinx um, I'm just, i didn't say your name okay go, <laughs> go, 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 go. no yes. my my theory on that is um when so when i prayed that night for a sign from god a clear sign i didn't pray in my head which i normally do every night to this day i prayed out aloud and i i spoke to god and i said out aloud give me a sign and i think now my understanding of spirituality and my how i think now in terms of god is like i believe our ancestors i really believe in ancestors and angels mm-hmm. being around and protecting us all the time yeah and i believe they heard me very clearly in that time and so when you decide to bring things out of your mind and out of your head and speak them into existence even if you are alone yeah um it, it gives it so much power and 100%. your ancestors can hear that and your angels can hear that and your god can hear that and your brain can, can and your, hear it and you are god okay this is my own that's a okay. whole other topic okay <laughs> but i i believe that god is within me and i am god um, I know that's going to trigger a lot of people, but I don't say that in a blasphemous way. I just believe that it's a, God... It's a safe space. Judgment-free. Yeah. <clears throat> I just believe that if I speak it out into existence, it will... It will, And that's with everything, manifesting mm. what you want. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that helps thing- you when you when you actually speak it yeah. out. You speak it to life. Mm. So, like, and these things can be so helpful for your daily daily affirmations is huge right and yeah. so if i'm in the car and i don't know about you but i struggle with road rage oh mm. i'm i'm a christian yeah right and i'm a good person yeah. i think 
I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person on the road. I, no, I am very reactive. I get really, really frustrated with people. Mm. That's, that's a whole other story. Um, but when I'm in the car, I do a lot of there my There is no more mentally. Huh? <laughs> there is no darn. <laughs> um, no, when I'm in the car, you know, I do a lot of... It's like people do a lot of their thinking and creative, um, creative thinking in the shower, on long drives, on walks. So I'm the same. And if I've got something that's unresolved for me, I say it out loud. And I don't care if I'm by myself or if I'm with another person. Mm. And I, there's, it's so important for me because if I'm starting to get upset, all I have to say is it's not as big a deal as what I'm making it out to be. Mm. And those simple words literally take away the power of it starting to make me feel like I'm sinking and I'm drowning again. Yeah. And that's where I can keep my anxiety at bay. When I talk to myself and I say, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. So with my OCD, I'm like, what's the worst that can happen if there's spilt milk on the floor and you know, my kids don't know how to clean it up properly. Mm. I should be more thankful that they've attempted to clean it up and I can just clean up after them properly the way <laughs> I like to afterwards. But you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But there's so much power in being able to hear your own voice, affirm that things are okay. And so I do this thing with my mm. kids. I do this, I, and they love it. And it gives me so much joy that I'm starting to, you know, nurture this, this self, this identity of self-love for them. Mm. I play this game with them. And it's called You Are, I Am. Mm. And so, and I've played this with them for years. And even now, my son will just run and be like, can we play You Are, I Am? Oh, and it's where I say you are, and individually they say I am. And then we go back and forth with the things that they are. So I'll say you are loved. Mm. And they say I am clever. And then I say you are beautiful. And they say I am blessed. You know, you are brave. Mm. I am courageous. And we go back and forth. And sometimes when they say, oh, I can't think of anything else, I have more that I can say to them. Mm. And then they can, and then, you know what I love? And they're like, oh, I am really friendly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And those things, when they continue to hear themselves say it, I, I hope that I'm instilling in them this sense of self that is i am enough i am all of these things and more mm. and i'm the only person that if i don't have anyone else i still have me and mm. i know that of course they're going to have me <laughs> oh, mm. but they're going to have all of these other people in their corner but they are going to be their number one fan mm. um and i you know it's I, a good self-worth um building yeah, because thing. you've got so many people, even in primary school, like both my kids are in primary school now, and even in primary school... Two of your kids. Oh, true. <laughs> I have three kids now. Sorry, Juju. Juju. But even at the age of six and eight, kids are already learning how to hate on one another. Oh my God, it's crazy. And, you know, oh, well, you don't have the coolest things or, oh, they weren't wearing this. Who cares? That's what I say. My son came home and he didn't want to pull his socks up for school. He wanted to roll them down and scrunch mm. them into his shoes. I was like, who does that, mate? Mm. What's going on? He was like, no, all my friends. I was like, you know what? Who cares about what all your friends do? What do you want to do? And he was yeah. like, I want to do my I was like, no, what do you want to do? Because, you know, we have to teach our kids to critically think mm. and be able to freely express themselves, however that is. Yeah. And I said, I don't care if you want to scrunch your socks into your shoes, mm. but I don't want you to do it because your friends do it. I want you to do it because you want to do it. Yeah. And I it's hard when they start school because, because peer pressure. they change so much. They pick so much up mm -hmm. from their friends and, and they get indoctrinated into a different... And that becomes a whole of... other development struggle, mm. right? Because, you know, those first six years of life, mm. 
the most influential space is the home for kids, right? Mm. And then once they reach school age, you know, they are then being influenced by this bigger, wider, broader world mm. that you can't really have too much of an input when you're not there. Yeah. If I um, could homeschool, I totally would. Oh, no, I tried homeschooling this coronavirus oh period God, and I it would. ain't for me. But you guys were homeschooling, but using the model that the schools were giving you, public schooling was giving you, which isn't a homeschool model. Yeah, to be honest. Like, to we do didn't... four hours of schooling at home for your children is not a homeschool model. Of course, parents are going to go crazy. Oh, no, but we didn't really follow that all the way. We did, but if it got too much, I was like, you know what, this isn't worth the stress. Mm. Let's go out outside let's go play and i was really i was very fortunate that i mm. had ebby as with her school teaching background yeah. because she would help i'm like i don't know what this is <laughs> and if it got too much for me we'd be like let's she'd be like let's go garden oh my god but that was the thing right if Your kids, kids are getting a and <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> no what do you mean i've always been doing mixed <laughs> fractions what's that <laughs> Exactly. So shut your mouth. Oh no, my but god, I'm gonna be screwed when Chima starts math. I'm oh well, go... then good luck with your homeschooling. <laughs> but I, if I could, I wouldn't even teach him all of that mess that he doesn't have to know. Like when that's in a... life, I like you're gonna yeah. need fractioning. <laughs> no, but that's just it, right? Like I, if homeschooling was much more freeing. It is. Yeah. I know heaps of people who are homeschooling. Yeah. I, to be honest, I just don't think I'm made for homeschooling. I think I'm made to spend time with my kids and that's my homeschooling. <laughs> We're made to go for walks and be in nature and look well, at the sky. Homeschooling. And that's homeschooling. Yeah. You, oh, you just have to, to meet that. certain parts of the curriculum. It's not sitting at home and going A, B, C, D. It's a different type of learning. So you're not indoctrinating your kids oh, to sit. Oh, what's this space? I'm going to look into homeschooling. Yeah, you're not teaching your kids to sit and be indoctrinated into like... I literally believe that the school system is just molding our children into working for somebody and to going into that, the rat race that we're in now. And I'm like... Do you remember the pressure of, oh, these are the most important years of your life to do your HSD? Oh, look back now. Oh my God, if I could go back to go, shut up, all you stupid teachers. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's, I, I would love to do that. Auntie Bruna's done that. Anyway, we're off track. Yeah. Sorry. So there's so many different things that you can look at to help identify what mental health issues you have. Mm. I, I personally think every single person has a mental health struggle of some sort. Um, and I, for, for me, the reason why I feel like this is so, it's such a necessary thing to talk about is because people look at mental health and see a weakness mm. and see it as being something that you should be ashamed of, that you should keep hidden, that you should keep in the darkness. And it's not because it can literally break you if you don't mm. have the conversation. Um, yeah. And remember, <clears throat> your mental health is just as important as your physical health and as your emotional and spiritual health as well. Um, they're all intertwined. Yeah. All so, intertwined. Yeah. I would just recommend people that who then <clears throat> recognize where their traumas came from and what triggers blah, blah, blah from their seven years of life. Then try and look into other sources of how then to free yourself from those um, Yeah, from those types of things. And there's different tools and tactics that you can use. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we spoke about this. Yeah, I think it's been a pretty long talk. Yeah, let's wrap this up. So look, everybody, thank you for listening. If anything resonated with you today or you feel like you need to talk to someone, um, the there are so many different resources and contacts. We did mention some contacts last week. But even if you just want to throw in some questions or you wanted to, to throw some 
throw some input at Lauren and I, we would love to hear from you. So please hit us up on our Instagram or in our email. Um, But no, again, you are not alone. The struggle is real, but the struggle is not a lonely one. Yeah. Um, Make sure you connect with us because that way we can um, really continue this talk on on and on after this um, episode. Um, no, I thought you were going to sing another song. Oh, well, you pick the song then. No, was that even a song? No, I didn't. No. <laughs> okay. But thanks um, for tuning in, guys. We will see y'all next week. Episode five, where we'll be talking on faith, spiro- spiro- <laughs> faith spirituality, religion, and all the things in between. So we hope to catch you next week. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to All The Things. You can follow us on Instagram at allthethings.talk. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever it is you get your podcast fix. We hope you join us next week for conversations on All The Things.